Okay, so today we continue our study of the Dhammapada. Today into the Appamada Raga. Appamada means uh, heedfulness or vigilance, as I said. It's the opposite of Pamada, which means negligence or heedlessness. So, the first story is based on three verses, which go as follows. Appamado amata padang, pamado machuno padang, appamata namiyanti, ye pamata yathamata. Evang vise sato nyatva, appamadam hi pandita, appamade pamodanti, ariyanang gochare rata, te jainog satatika, Nichang dalha parakama, pusanti dira nibanang yoga kemang anuttarang. Three verses. So the first verse, appamado amatapadang, negligence or heedlessness is the path, no, heed, uh, vigilance, or vigilance is the path to uh, the deathless. Amatapadam, to immortality. Uh, heedlessness or negligence is the path to death. The one who is vigilant never dies. Namiyanti. Whoever is negligent is as if already dead. Ewang visesatonyatava. Knowing the difference or the the Knowing the difference between these two, the wise, uh, the wise set themselves in heedfulness. Appamade pamodanti, they uh, rejoice greatly in heedfulness. Aryanangucharirata, uh, delighting in the pasture or the, ref the resort of the noble ones. They jayino satatika, they meditate constantly or continuously. Nichang dalha parakama, establishing themselves in effort, uh, permanently in effort or constantly in effort. Pusanti dira nibanang, the wise, these wise ones touch or reach nibana, freedom, which is, or nibana, which is the Yoga kemang, the safety, anuttarang, the highest safety from bondage. So, okay, let's, let's explain them, I'll try to explain them simply. No. The first one, the path, heedfulness is the path of, of, heedfulness is the path to immortality. Heedlessness is the path to death. The one who is heedful never dies, the one who is heedless, those who are heedless are as if already dead. Seeing this, this, the difference here, the wise will set them in, set themselves in heedfulness. Uh, they delight in heedfulness, and therefore they, they delight in the refuge of the of the noble ones. They meditate constantly, uh, and put out effort constantly, and therefore they touch nibbana, which is the supreme safety from bondage, so being safe from getting trapped or falling into suffering. So, what were these three verses? These three verses were said in in relation in relation to 
the story of Samavati. Samavati, who Samavati, Samavati, who was a queen in the time of the Buddha, and the story here is actually incredibly long because it takes it tries to tell the stories of just about every character involved, which takes quite some time. I'm going to try to limit it to uh, hopefully just two two people, the protagonist and the antagonist in the story. Protagonist is the queen Samavadi and the antagonist is the queen Magandhya. They were queens of the same king. And how it came about, Samavati was born into the family of a uh, banker in one city. And it happened that there was a great uh, plague in their country. And as a result, they all, her, she and her, her parents escaped. Uh, had to run away from the city and leave behind all their belongings. But they had a friend, they were friends with Gosaka Seti, who actually there's a big story about him, but he's not really important, so we're going to skip it. The important thing is that he, he lived in this uh, other city, the city of King Udena, who we're also not going to tell the story. But uh, Samawadi and her parents went to this city looking for the, the Gosaka Seti. Because the, and since they were friends, uh, friends of Gosaka, the banker, they, uh, they, they thought for sure he would take care of them and look after them and help them out in this difficult time. So uh, it was very difficult on the travel and they were very much worn out and, and, uh, and well, famished by the time they got to the city uh, of King Udena. And they so they what they did is they 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 found out that Gosaka Seti had set up these almshouses where they could get free food from. So they thought, well, uh, what we'll do is we'll stay here, and they stayed in this rest house, uh, you know, for travelers. It's just an empty empty place for people to rest, and send Samawati to get food for the three of them. So she went to Gosaka Seti, Gosaka the banker's house, and found this man. Uh, I can't remember the, this man who distributes the food to the to the beggars and to people who have have uh, who have no work and no food. And she and they said, "How much?" Mita was his name. They said, "How how much food would you like? How many portions?" And she said, "I'd like three portions." And he looked at her, this little girl, and so he gave her three portions, and she took them back to her parents. And uh, out of respect, of course, in India, it was the, the respect was always given to the man. So out of respect, they they encouraged him to eat first. I mean, also, yeah, whatever. That's the way it was. Uh, but as luck would have it, because they had him eat first, and he was so famished, he ate uh, all of the or he ate the best food and got sick, and actually passed away that night because the food was too rich and because he hadn't eaten for such a long time. He gorged himself. And that was that was pretty upsetting for the two of them. It was like now their their husband, the man of the family who would have supported them in that culture, it had been very difficult for these two women to get along. And of course, this was their loved husband and father. So, but the mother anyway said to, to had Samavati go go to get food the next day. And the same thing asked how many portions. And today she said she wants two portions. And so he gave her two portions, and she brought them back, and. 
same this time she had her mother eat first and same thing happened to her mother her mother got sick and and died uh, so I don't know whether there was some problem with the food or not but it sounds like it was just because they were gorging themselves and so Samavati was now alone an orphan in the world and very very distressed and you have to think also she was born in a good family her parents were the head bankers in in this in their country and uh, so she was a very high bred and of course not used to things like begging so she went back the next day to get one portion and they asked her how many portions she said one portion and this man Mitta got very very angry at her and said and called her all sorts of names like you vile woman uh, don't know your now you what's what's wrong with you and she she was just just shocked she had never heard such terrible words in her life and she never thought anyone could ever be called such a thing and she was mortified and asked what what did i do wrong and she said well and he said well first day you have three portions you greedy greedy pig and, and and then you realize it's too much so you only have two and now finally you've realized how much is enough so you're only taking one portion and she she started crying and she said that's not that's not why I took three portions and she explained what had happened and that she had come actually to see their friend Gosaka Sethi who whose whose almshouse it was and this man Mitta was he started crying as well and he was so so sad for Samavati and and so he said from now on you will be my daughter and he took her in as his daughter so this is this story is it, it, it is you see it's a very long story but this part is important only because it tells us uh, where Samavati comes from and also gives us her name because her name at that time was Sama and what she did uh, they had this almshouse and everyone would just rush in to get the food all these people who the supplicants uh, coming in just rush in to get their food and Samavati heard this great noise and uh, she said to her father isn't there some way you can stop or this man who had taken her in isn't there something you could do? And he said, oh, there's no way to stop it. And so she said, well, why not build a fence and have them come in from one door and out the other door, so two entrances, and then they can just come in one by one by one and get their food, and there'll be no jostling and no, no shouting. And so he did that, and then it was totally quiet from then on. So she became known as Sama of the Fence, uh, and it was Sama's Fence. Fence means Vati, which, uh, which gave her the name Samavati. Now, the, the other part of the story is that Gosaka liked to hear this noise. He heard this noise and he always thought, oh, there's my, that's my almshouse where they're giving, giving away free food. And he felt really good about that. And now all of a sudden there was no noise and it kind of bothered him. And so he asked, what, what, uh, where did the noise go? And he said, oh, my daughter uh, devised some clever plan to, for this fence. And Gosaka said, you have a daughter? I didn't know that. And he said, well, actually... And then he realized that, he said, actually, this is the son, of, the daughter of your friend, the other saint, he, uh, the other banker. And Gosaka was shocked, and so he took her in, as his own daughter. He said, why didn't you tell me? And took her as his own daughter and, uh, and, and raised her as a, as a high-bred woman again. Now, then it happened that she was seen, she was going bathing one day, and King Udena saw her coming by the palace, and uh, asked for her hand, asked, uh, you know, fell in love with her and thought she would make a good queen and asked her to become his queen. And there was a big fight about it and she gave in. Kings in that time were not to be, uh, were not to be uh, denied. 
So they tried to they tried to say and the parents tried to say no and they were almost thrown out of their house and finally Samavati said, No, 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 you don't say no to kings, I will go. And so she went and became the queen. That's the story of Samavati, how she became queen. The story of Magandhya, in brief, was a little more interesting. The Buddha found out about Magandhya and her parents because he realized the parents were ready to become enlightened. Uh, they, they, were, they were highly developed individuals. And so he went one day on alms round. And the story goes that Magandhya was probably a fairly... Magandhya is the bad guy in this story. So she was probably a fairly proud and, and cruel and wicked sort of person. Uh, so very hard to to find a husband for very picky, and it's it says that it said that the parents were also picky. So the father would never accept any anybody for her daughter. So she was probably spoiled as well, because he only wanted the best for his daughter. And so they denied all these suitors who came and, and tried to, to take her as their wife. Until finally they saw the Buddha, and he saw the Buddha standing there, and he said, "This is the man for my daughter." <laughs> Uh oh, and he was. There's no man. I, there's no man in India like this one. This has to be the one for my daughter. And so, he went. He rushed back home and told his family and told his wife. And everyone was like, "Wow, you, this must be something." And then they wanted to see this guy. So they all went out. And suddenly there was no Buddha. The Buddha had gone. He even asked. He'd asked the Buddha. He said, "Stay here. Stay here. I want you to. I want to, you to meet my daughter." So he brought his wife and daughter. The Buddha was gone. And so they're looking around for him, and then they saw on the ground his footprint. He had put specific, he had put intentionally had put a footprint there, because the thing in India is that they knew how to read palms and they knew how to read feet. So they looked at this footprint, and the wife, Magandhya, the woman, uh, the, the mother, knew right away that this was not a, <laughs> this wasn't the one for her daughters. This, this guy is enlightened. This guy has no no more lust in him. Why? Because you know, you can tell by the footprint, uh, if you're very clever, she said, if a person is uh, angry, then the heel will go down heavy. Right? When people stomp because they're angry, a person with, with anger, a person with lots of greed will, have, uh, will, will step on the tiptoes because they're always hurrying towards something. And a person with delusion will not have an even footprint because they're, they're, they're wobbling all over the place. But this is a perfectly pure individual who puts this footprint down. So she could apparently see that. And uh, the, the man said, oh, be quiet, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You're always seeing crocodiles in water pots. That's what he said. And so he, he searched and searched and he found the, the Buddha and he, he bowed down to the Buddha and he said, this is my daughter, Magandhya, please take, accept her as your wife. Uh, there's no one in all of India who, who is wor more worthy of her than you are. And the Buddha looked at him. And of course, he had a, the Buddha had a purpose here. He was coming to teach these two, the two parents. And so he explained to them his story of how he had uh, left the king, left behind the kingdom uh, in Kapilavatu and gone forth and for six years had uh, tortured himself until finally he realized the middle way and, and, and became enlightened and was... Uh, was um, was confronted with Mara along with Mara's three daughters. And he talks about the three daughters of Mara, who of course would be the, the epitome of sensual attraction, Mara being the evil one, so his daughters were these 
If you ever seen the little Buddha, you know the you know the three daughters. No? And he said, having having seen those those three and not given rise to any lust, any desire, having totally thrown thrown out all lust and desire myself, what use have I for this this sack of urine and feces that you present to me? I wouldn't touch it with a ten foot pole, or I wouldn't touch it with my baby baby toe or something like that. And listening to this, and, and, and because, of course, he was teaching the Dhamma as he spoke, the two of them became enlightened, listening. Uh, or they, I can't remember, maybe they, they became Sotapanna, and then they asked permission to become uh, become monks, and then they went forth, and then they became Arahant, something like that. But Magandhya, the daughter, was, of course, not impressed, being called a bag, of a sack of, of crap. And she was, she was, she said, one day I will know what to do with this ascetic Gautama. So she vowed revenge against him. That's how our story starts. That's the introduction of these two. Uh, the, sorry, the, the last thing is that Magandhya was then placed into the, the protection of her uncle, who got the bright idea to bring him to the king, bring her to the king, saying, well, if there's no one else good for him, bring her to the king brought her to the king, and the king fell in love with her as well, and took her as his wife as well. He had a third wife, but we won't talk about her because she's not important, not for this story. Well, that's the way of kings. They have as many wives as they want, and whoever they want. Okay, so that's the beginning. Now, how did it come about that the Buddha told these three verses? Well, uh, where do we start? Samavati... Uh, Samavati had a a slave girl, a servant, Kuduchara, I think is her name, Kudutara, you should know her name, she's a very important person, Kujutara, uh, who, was, who was a bit of a hunchback and, and a servant, and uh, every, every day the king would give Samawati eight pieces of money for flowers, or every week or something, and Kujutara would go out steal four, pocket four of the gold coins, and buy flowers with the other four gold coins. And she would do this, and Samavati didn't know any better. She said, oh, this is, four gold, this is eight gold coins worth of flowers? Okay, so she took four gold coins worth of flowers, thinking it was eight. And all the time it went, it went like this. Now, it so happened that at that time the Buddha was staying, uh, being, being patronized by the three, the three bankers, one of them being Gosaka. But, you know, at any rate, the Buddha was in the area. And Kujutara one day went out to get flowers, and it turned out that the flower, the gardener, was, had decided to patronize, the, had asked permission to, to be able to feed the Buddha on one day. And so he got the permission, he got that day, to give food to the Buddha, and part of it was to make a lot of flowers. And so he said, okay, I'll get, I'll make you, I'll get you some flowers, but to, first I'm going to feed the Buddha. And so he went, he, he said, you come with me and you sit by me, he said to this servant, Kuduchala, Kujutara, uh, come with me and, and at the end I'll give you some flowers. And said, so, okay, fine. Then she went in and the Buddha saw her and knew right away that actually she had some perfection in her. And so he taught with her in mind. And at the end of his teaching, uh, of course after he eats, then he'll give a talk, uh, he, he gave the teaching and, uh, and uh, as, a result, as a result of the teaching she became a Sotapanna. And she was sitting there listening and of course applying the teachings and became a Sotapanna. Now the thing about a Sotapanna is they don't steal. 
So here she had eight gold coins in, in her possession and instructions to get eight gold coins worth of flowers. So what did she do? She bought eight gold coins worth of flowers. Now what happens when she brings eight gold coins worth of flowers back to Samavati? It's twice as many as she normally comes with. So Samavati says, what happened, what happened today? Did, uh, did you get to, how did you get twice as much? Did they put a special on in flowers or something? Are they on sale? And uh, and Kudjutara said, no, no, miss, no, my, my lady. Uh, but here's how it happened. <laughs> Before I, I I actually would was stealing four of the gold coins. I mean, she just said it because she's enlightened. She's a sotapanna. She has no fear for herself. She she had no no desire to hide her. She couldn't lie either. She had seen the the baseness of it, and of course felt great shame as a result. And she said, in the past I was stealing half of the money. And, and she said, well then why, t and what, so today you're not stealing them, what, what's, what happened today? And she said, well today I heard the teaching of the Buddha, and uh, um, I, I realized the truth of it. And so I, I, I could never steal, and I, I could never, never do such a terrible thing again. And Samavati, Samavati was a very good person. She wasn't the kind of cruel, wicked person that we're going to see Mangandya being. So instead of saying something like, you evil slave, give me all my money back, uh, she said, can you teach me the Dhamma? And she said, yeah, I can do that. And so they had, they had but if, because she was going to be their teacher, they actually put their servant up on a higher seat. First they bathed her in this rose water, and then they put her up on this higher seat. And then they listened to the Dhamma. She had all called all of her ladies in waiting to come and they all listened to the Dhamma from their servant. And from that point on they, they said, from now on you will be our teacher. And they said, we want you to go to the Buddha constantly and, and receive all the teachings you can from him and come back every time and teach, teach us. And she did this faithfully and as a result she became, uh, actually the servant lady became, uh, was able to memorize all, the whole of the Buddha's teaching, the whole of the Tipitika, they say or all of the trainings of the Buddha. And she faithfully brought them back to Samavati. Now one day Samavati wanted to be able to see the Buddha, because of course this was their teacher and they were practicing according to the Buddha's teaching, so they wanted to see, to, 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 to meet with the Buddha. So can, can you do this for us? And she said, it's not easy to, for a queen, because the queens were totally trapped. They never saw the city. The king was so jealous that he would never let his queen out, of course. Of course. Um, pretty terrible, actually. Uh, but what she said, well, then do this. She said, poke some, cut some holes in your walls, and, and in each of your rooms make a hole, and when the Buddha walks by on alms round, you'll be able to, pay, to hold up your hands and pay respect to him. So they did that. Now, Magandhya, at this time, she was walking around, and she saw these holes, and she says, what are those for? And one of the ladies says, oh, those are so we can pay homage to the, the, the Buddha. And Magandhya, right away, she said, oh, she said, this, this arch-villain, no, this, this arch-enemy of mine, my nemesis. And so Magandhya, right then, thought, well, I'll know it. And now, now I'll figure out something to do to destroy both the Buddha and these, this queen and her followers who are followers of this nasty, mean ascetic. And so she tried to think, this is where she tried to think up all these ways to, to, first, so the first thing she did is she went to the king and said uh, Samavati was, was plotting against, against the king and tried to turn the king against Samavati. 
And the king said, why do you say that? And she said, well, look, they're, they're not even faithful to you. They, you see, these, they've put these holes, uh, and instead of coming to pay respect to you, they're now paying respect to the Buddha. And so the king went, and he saw these holes, and he smiled, and so uh, instead, of, instead of getting angry and upset at it, he, he, he ordered that there be windows placed there. They put some nice windows so they could be able to see the Buddha comfortably. So the king wasn't wasn't moved, and he didn't listen to Magandhya, not the first time. So she was very, very angry. And so what she did as a result of that is uh, got together some of these other religious groups who would have been anti-Buddha, uh, against the Buddha, and jealous of the Buddha, and so on, and got them together and, and, and bribed them to to set up some people to... to say nasty things to the Buddha, and to, every time they saw the Buddha, to revile the Buddha, and, and you know, to, to generally make a nuisance of themselves, which they did. And this is, this is an important part of the story, because it's an important story that we always bring up. What happened then is Ananda, the Buddha's attendant and cousin, said to the Buddha, we should go somewhere else. The Buddha said, why go somewhere else? And, well, these people are reviling you. I can't take it to hear them saying such nasty things about the Buddha. And the Buddha said, where will we go? And Ananda said, well, we'll go to some other city. And the Buddha said, and what if they revile us there? And Ananda said, well, then we'll go to another city. And the Buddha said, and then, if they revile us there, then we'll go to an... And Buddha said, Ananda, this isn't how you deal with problems. A problem that arises should be dealt with right then and there. This is the correct way. And then he used the simile of an elephant. The elephant goes... The Buddha said, I am like the great elephant. If an elephant goes into battle... It doesn't go in there and as soon as it gets attacked by arrows and so on, it runs away. It has to deal with it, it has to stay in the battle and carry the king and so on. It has to be, uh, it can't be afraid of these things and it must settle it right then and there. He says, so how can I uh, not suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous people and so on. And so, uh, the Buddha said, and the Buddha said, in any way, it's only going to last seven days. And then, indeed, it did only last seven days. Because he said, no one can revile a Buddha for more than seven days. It's too wicked, you can't do it. So eventually, they just couldn't bear it anymore. They're evil. And uh, had to give it up. So Magandhya was very, very angry. And at this point, it started to go to her head. And she started getting crazy ideas. So what she did next is uh, was trying to find a way to, to get at, at Samavati. She said, I can't get at the Buddha, but I can sure destroy Samavati. There's got to be a way. And so what she did is she, she knew that these, these Samavati and her followers were now keeping the precepts, at least the five precepts. And so she said to the king, or she got her relative to bring eight live chickens as a gift to the king. And the king said, oh, what a nice... Uh, what a nice uh, meal that will be. And uh, through Magandhya's prompting, he asked, oh, who's going to cook them? And Magandhya right away said, oh, Samavati will cook them. Her, her maids are doing nothing. Send them to Samavati and her, her ladies-in-waiting, and they will cook them up. And she said, oh, good idea. And so he sent them off to Samavati. So they brought these, these chick live chickens to Samavati and said, kill these and cook them and, and serve them to the king. And Samavati said, we don't, we don't take life. We, 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 are, we refuse to take the life of any being. And they brought them back. And Mikandiya said, See, see, they won't even, they won't even do this for you. They're, they're, they, they have no, no love for you, O king. And she said, But 
let them take the same eight chickens and tell them, tell them that they're for the, the ascetic Gotama, for the Buddha. And I bet they'll, I bet they'll do it. And the king said, the king didn't, say, you know, didn't say anything. And kind of okay, let's go along with it. Mukandi said, here, take these back and 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 tell them to kill, them, tell them to cook them up, and serve them to the ascetic Gotama. But what, what she did is she switched them with eight dead chickens and sent them eight dead chickens. And they said, oh, well, we can do this. And so they cooked them up and sent them off to the Buddha. And when the king found out, or then Magandhya found out, and she told the king, and the king was kind of quiet, but at this point probably losing a little bit of faith in Samavati because she said, oh, look, see, they killed them and took them for the Buddha. And they wouldn't do it for you. Okay, and then the next thing she did is uh, when the, the king was going to stay with so he would go from one queen to the other, one week, one queen. And she was just getting ready to go for one week to Samavati. And the queen, the Magandhya said, oh, I had a bad dream last night, let me come with you. And she wouldn't listen to the king when he said no. So she went and she was looking around. And what she had done is she had had someone put a poisonous snake into the king's guitar or lute, you know, musical instrument, and put some flowers in front of it. And so she came and she pulled the, pulled the flowers away and then they all saw this snake come out of the, the king's musical instrument and she blamed Samavati. She said, they want to kill you. Look, they've put a poisonous snake in your musical instrument or something like that. And she said, see, I told you, you wouldn't listen to me. And here the king just had had enough and he got very, very angry. And so he, he started to believe Magandhi and he called out the Samavati and... Uh, got them all lined up in a row. This is apparently what he did. He put Samavati in the front and put all of her ladies-in-waiting behind and he got a bow with a poison arrow and he was ready to shoot her. Now Samavati, what she did is she told all of her ladies, she said, we have no refuge. Let us take the Dhamma as our refuge and bear no ill will towards the king and think of the king just as yourself. And so they would, they, they would have had this method of developing loving-kindness first for yourself, then for someone you love, then for someone who's was ready to kill you with a bow and arrow. <laughs> so they were used to this. They would start with themselves and then they would send loving kindness out to the king. And so the king shot this arrow, actually shot it at, at, at Samavati. And I'm trying to understand the Pali, but it says something like, because the, the well, it, it basically says he shot the arrow and it turned around. Because of the power of the love, the arrow actually bent back and came to stand right in front of the king's heart, pointed at the king's heart, something like that. But it's, it's almost as though it shot him through the heart, which it couldn't have done. What it says is, it says as though he was shot through the heart himself. But it must mean it was as though it would shoot him through the heart. And he became very frightened. And he asked, he asked Samavati to take refuge, if he could take refuge in Samavati. And Samavati said, you can't take refuge in me, take refuge in the Buddha. And he said, please, please let me take refuge. Samavati said, no, you must take refuge in the Buddha. So at that point he took refuge, he went to see the Buddha and took refuge in the Buddha, but he said to Samavati, please, I grant you one wish. And Samavati said, then I have, a, I have no wish for gold or silver, but I have a wish to see the Buddha. She said, give me permission to see the Buddha, to have the Buddha come here regularly and give us teachings so that we may hear the teachings of the Buddha. And Dudena went to the Buddha and asked the Buddha to come, and the Buddha said, it's very difficult for the Buddha to go to one place all the time, but he sent Ananda instead. And Ananda therefore became a favorite uh, and, uh, among these queens and actually got a lot of reward from them. 
was a kind of a side story. Ananda got 500 robes from them. They gave him 500 pieces of cloth to make robes out of. And then the king found out, and the king got very angry and went to see Ananda and said, So, you heard you got 500 robes. And he said, You're going to wear them all? And he said, No, I'm not going to wear them all. Then what are you going to do with 500 robes? What are you doing accepting so many gifts when you know you can't use them? He said, Well, I'll give them to those monks who have tattered robes. If a monk has robes with holes in them, then we'll get, he, can, he can replace them with these robes. Oh, and then what's the monk going to do with his tattered robes? Just throw them away? And he said, No. No, they'll take their outer robes and make lower robes with them, because the lower robe's smaller, they can cut it into pieces and make a lower robe. And then what will they do with their old lower robes? And, and Ananda said, well, then they'll make bandages uh, for, for, to cover for those monks who need bandages or splints or, or not, uh, slings. And, and then what will they do with their band, their, the bandages they already had? And he said, well, then they will make patches for their robes. And what will they do with their old patches? Well, they'll make threads to sew their robes. And what will they do with the old threads? Well, they'll pound them up with mud and, and, and make bricks out of them for, the, for, for making kutis, making huts. And the king was so impressed by this, he said, that's incredible. He said, I, I, I'm sorry, you, you people really do know the worth of gifts. And he gave Ananda another 500 robes. And the commentary goes on about it, saying that Ananda actually gained thousands and thousands of robes, and he would travel all over India, giving away his his possession, his his uh, acquisition, his gifts. So, side story. But that's that's that brings us up to what really happened and why the Buddha told this uh, these verses. At this point, Magandhi had had enough, and she knew that now there was no way she could possibly say anything bad about Samavati. She was going to have to take matters into her own hands, which indeed she did. She committed a very terrible, terrible karma. She got her uncle, um, another Magandhya, to go to the Samavati's uh, quarters and get rags soaked in oil, wrap them around the pillars, and close all the doors and light the place on fire with Samavati and her ladies-in-waiting in there. So he started doing this, and Samavati ladies came in and said, What are you doing? And he said, Oh, we're strengthening the pillars. They would have been wooden pillars. He said, Yes, you put oil on them and it strengthens them. Now, now don't stay here, go, because you won't like the smell. And so he sent them off, and they all went into their rooms and closed the doors. He locked all their rooms and lit everything on fire and locked the other door and, and, and went on his way. Uh, the monks heard about this and went back to this. In, 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 before, before what happens, no, they went. The monks went back, went back to find the Buddha to tell the Buddha they heard about this on Amsdran, saw the the palace burning, and they heard the, what happened. Went to see the Buddha, and the Buddha said, "Oh, th this is the way of samsara." And he said, "These, uh, all of these ladies actually." What, oh, what happened? Sorry, I forgot. The most important part is that. When, well, they were burning. Once they found out what was happening and they found out that the doors were locked, she said to all of the ladies-in-waiting, she said, now we ha again we have no refuge except for our practice. And she said, do you exert yourself, everyone exert yourselves in practice. And so it's the commentary says, by exerting themselves on the mindfulness of Vedana, the pain, even as their bodies were burning and the heat was enveloping them, they, some of them became Sotapanna, some of them became Sakitagami, some of them became Anagami. So none of the and the, this is what the Buddha said. He said, "Well, they were uh, that, that they were not negligent. These people were apamada; they were heedful or vigilant. And so, even at the moment of death, being burnt to death, 
they exerted themselves in the meditation, obviously saying to themselves, pain, pain, and watching their emotions. It's an incredible practice and one that really helps you let go. I mean, this is why when in meditation we always say to, uh, to, to how, how good it is to look at the pain and how good it is for you to, to experience these difficulties. If you don't have the difficulties, if it's not um, unpleasant to you, you'll never let go. So we're looking at this unpleasantness again and again and again until finally the mind gets it that actually this really the whole of, of this being that we cling to is, uh, is a cause for suffering and unpleasantness. And so the mind lets go and it won't come back to have to be born again and again and again. Anyway, this is the idea. Some people like to be born again and again and again. But what, what you see in the meditation is actually it doesn't come down to being burnt alive. Actually, you can see that the way the body and the mind work, there's really nothing beneficial or, or wonderful about them at all, and the mind lets go. And so this is what happened with them. And uh, so the Buddha said they got their they got their just just desserts. None of them. They all got what they deserved, which is an interesting thing. And we'll see why the Buddha said that actually. And so the king then the king rushed in. Trying to, he heard about this and he rushed in trying to put out the fire and, and found out that he was too late and they had all been burnt to death. And he was so sad, so grieved. And he thought, who could have done such a horrible deed? And immediately he thought of Magandhya. And he thought to himself, well, if I accuse her, she'll never admit it. So he said, oh, he thought of a plan. He said, oh, how wonderful. Before, when Samawadi was still alive, I was always afraid of my life. I never knew what was going to happen. And I could never trust her. Now I, could, I can sleep well at night. And he said, boy, if only I knew who had done this, I could reward them so great, so, so, so highly reward them. I should treat them uh, with great honor for having done this wonderful, having relieved me of this. Now I don't have to think of a way to kill her myself. And Magandhya, of course, held up her hand and said, oh, king, it was me who did it all by myself. I thought it up, and I had them. I or made the order, gave the orders. You, Magandya, oh, you're the only one who loves me. He said, "Come, I want to give you a reward. Bring all of your relatives." And she said, "With the help," because she, she had said, "With the help of my relatives, I did." So, oh, bring all of your relatives. I will give you all a reward. And so everyone heard that that Magandya's relatives were going to get a reward. So people who weren't even related to Magandya. They started saying, oh, I'm, yes, I'm Magandhya's relative. And so, oh, come on, come on. Got them all in and brought them into the courtyard in front of the king. And the king had, the, the king had them dig big pits up to about waist height, had them all put into these pits, and the, the, the ground covered up, and had the whole courtyard covered in straw and lit the straw on fire, burning these people to a crisp. And I believe the idea is that they were still alive after that, their skin being, you know, having these ter terrible burns, but still alive. And then he had the ground with them in it, plowed with an iron plow. <laughs> and that's not the worst of it, because they didn't do that to Magandhya. What they did to Magandhya herself, is tied her up and took a knife and cut pieces of her flesh, roasted them, uh, fr deep-fried them in oil, and had her eat them. <laughs> this, is what, this is the cruelty of kings. You have to think, Udena is not such a good guy himself. This is the story of Samavati and Magandhya. 
So then the monks started asking these questions amongst themselves. They said, hmm, I wonder where these, you know, what can you say about these two? Are, can you really consider that Samavati is dead? I mean, Magandhya, is she the one that's dead? What is, what, which of these would we consider to be dead? It was kind of a philosophical talk. And the Buddha asked, well, what are you talking about? They told him. And the Buddha said, this is where he said these verses. And this is where the context would it put. So, well, who is really dead? And, they, and the Buddha said, Appamado, heedfulness, is the path to immortality. Pamado machanopadang, those who are negligent and, and of course, evil, uh, go to death. And he said, Appamatanamiyanti, the, the heedful, people like Samavati, never die. Ye pamatayatamata, but the heedless are as if already dead, and, and so on. Now the monks asked what had happened to Magandhya. Uh, I guess we can tell this part. Or what had happened to Samavati? He said, well, how did Samavati really deserve what had happened to her? And the Buddha said, well, if you look at just this life, it doesn't look like she deserved it at all. But what happened is way back in the past, she had, she and her ladies uh, had, had, I think they had been queen, she had been a queen, and it was, these were her ladies-in-waiting at the time. And they wanted to make a fire for the, uh, for the king. And they wanted to set this grass on fire or something. They saw this grass and they wanted to clear it or something. And so they, they lit it all on fire. Turns out there was a Pacheka Buddha, a Buddha, an enlightened being, sitting in the middle of the grass, sitting in, in actually in, in a, a high meditative attain, attainment state, a state of high meditation, state of meditation anyway. High state of meditation, meditative attainment. And so they were afraid, they thought he must have died as a result. And it turns out they knew this guy, this, this Buddha was, a, was, a, um, was, a, uh, was supported by the king, and the king was always giving him food. So they knew the king would be very, very angry at them if, if they, he found out that this, this, they had burnt this guy. And they said, oh, we have to get rid of him. They thought, they saw, oh, he's still there, he must, be, he must have died. Truth is, when you're in these states, even fire can't hurt you. This is what they say. So, so he wasn't dead. He was actually perfectly fine. And so they said, let's get rid of him. And so they, they, they put, put wood all around him and piled wood up all on top of him and lit him on fire again and went, and went away thinking, ah, now he'll burn to a crisp. Turns out he didn't burn to a crisp. Seven days later, he got up and all, of course, the fire was totally gone. And, and he got up and looked around what happened and went on his way. Uh, but as a result of that, as a result of the evil, see the first time they had no evil in their minds, but the second time they were, they did a very evil deed to burn this, this Buddha. And as a result, so it says, they were burnt in this life because it weighed heavily on their mind, the guilt that was in their mind, their minds. Even though they actually didn't kill the guy, but they had bad intentions, so it says. Okay. This is the story, and apologies, it's actually much longer than that even, but that's quite a long, that's quite long enough. The important thing is, this is the beginning of the Upamadavaga, which is the most important teaching of the Buddha. As it says here in the commentary, what do we say of, of Upamada in the Sanyutta Nikaya? The Buddha says this, he says, just like all of the footprints of all animals that exist, that, that walk on land, can fit inside the footprint of the elephant, in the same way, all of the teachings of the Buddha fit inside this teaching on Appamada. This is how important the Buddha, how important the Buddha took this teaching to be. 
This is also the last words of the Buddha, Appamadena Sampadinta. Develop yourselves or perfect yourselves in become full of heedfulness. So what does it mean to say that someone who is, is uh, heedful doesn't die? Basically, well, we're looking again at the idea of, of death. And really the truth is that, that, that death itself is only a, a concept. But if we're looking at absolute death or ultimate sense, death is this momentary birth and death of our experience. When you experience seeing or hearing or smelling or tasting or feeling or thinking, that's birth. And when the experience ceases, that's death. So we're experiencing constant death and birth, death and birth, in every moment. So someone who is heedful is able to overcome this and is able to enter into Nibbāna, which is free from arising and therefore free from ceasing. That's, that's what that means. What does it mean to say that a person who is heedless is as though one who is already dead? I think this is much more, this is how you can say uh, a person who is heedful dies. Because on the one hand, they have to be born and die again and again and again, and they'll have to keep coming back and being born again, sometimes in hell, sometimes in heaven, but uh, always subject to more and more based on their clinging and their craving. And lots of stress and lots of... I mean, even in heaven, people have... beings have stress. They worry about dying still. When they come to the end of their term, they, they might go back to, to the human world and eventually back to hell. But... The most important part of this teaching is that one who is negligent, it doesn't matter whether they're born or die, they're as, if, they're as if already dead. And so this is what you should see in the meditation, that actually it's a part of, of being born or a part of waking up. And you really feel like this, like before I, became, before I started practicing meditation, I was alive, but really only, it's only a, a name. I wasn't, it wasn't as though I was alive really at all, it was more as though I was dead or asleep, sleepwalking. When you come to meditate, you wake up to so much and you're able to see clearly what's going on. You're able to see clearly your habits and your reactions and how you've built these up just out of the darkness of ignorance that you've carried with you. This is why we get angry, this is why we get greedy, this is why we are conceited and arrogant and, uh, and attached to so many things. Why we are judgmental, why we are partial. All of this comes from our negligence, our our. our our laziness, really, in doing our duty, in in, in not our, our not uh, applying ourselves to our experience, not being careful. Another way of translating this is carefulness and carelessness. Simply by not being careful, not being thorough when we do something, when, even when we're eating, right? when we eat food, uh, every moment we're we're giving rise to craving, and and maybe we don't like this food, so we're giving rise to aversion, and we're feeding this partiality simply because of going by our old habits and going by ignorance and delusion and thinking that this is the way to find happiness and peace. When we come to meditate, you can see this. You can see your attachments, you can see your aversions, and, and uh, you realize that they've just been cultivated. We've just been growing these like weeds in a garden or like fungus in the dark. And once you shine the sun in, all of the fungus, all of the rot, uh, dries up and fades away. A person who is negligent, it doesn't matter what they do or who they are, but they will always be leading themselves to more suffering because they're like a person flailing around in the dark. Their life has no meaning, so therefore they're as if one who is already dead. So seeing this difference, when you come to practice meditation and you see the difference between the two, 
you set yourself and automatically the mind begins to change. Once you see things clearly and you apply yourselves to see things as they are, the mind can never go back to that. It sees something it's never seen before. And this is the, the, uh, the, the suffering that follows necess necessarily from craving, from evil. So it will never go back and give rise to craving or partiality again. The wise, the, these wise ones set themselves in heedfulness or carefulness. And they delight in it. They rejoice in it. And this is what you gain from the meditation. You may not feel like it in the middle because you're suffering from all of this bad stuff. But once you come out of it, it's such a, a, a joy. And you have this great peace and happiness in your life. Uh, feeling very viscerally this, this uh, freedom, like an open space that you've gained. Whereas before it was like you were suffocating. And you feel this great weight lifted off. So you rejoice in it. And you dwell in the resort of the noble ones. And because the resort of the noble ones is to be mindful all the time. So, you, how do you do it? Te jai no satatika. You do it by meditating constantly. Satatika means incessantly or, or continuously. So the idea is not to just do, now I'll do meditation and then stop and then meditation. It's to be mindful all the time. Even here when we're sitting, even when you're walking and you're eating the food to try to be mindful in everything you do and to, to take it as a meditation. Nityang dalha parakkama This means setting up your, your effort. Nityang, which means the opposite of a nityang. Nityang means permanently, really. Have per, to be permanently set in your effort. So it means that you never give up your effort, never give up your working to get rid of the evil things inside, to develop good things, and to protect yourself from from giving rise to evil and to protect the good things inside. Pusanti dira nibbanang. These wise ones touch nibbana. How this happens through exerting yourselves and con yourself and continuously practicing meditation, you start to see things clearly. You start to see the connections and the relations. But more importantly, you see the suffering and you see that all of this this being and this experience that we have is meaningless. Is is useless. The, the attraction you had, thinking this will bring me happiness, that will bring me happiness, is delusion. And you start to see that, that actually it's only bringing more and more attract, attachment, more and more addiction, and more and more suffering. Uh, the mind changes, and the mind begins to look at these things as boring. This is where you get to the point where it seems like everything is the same. Same old, same old. You really don't want to look at them anymore. And you keep looking and looking until finally the mind gets it and says, I want to be free from this. It gives rise to the desire to be free. Some people run away as a result, thinking, well, then I'll go back home and I won't have to deal with this. But of course, if you go home, you take it all with you. So they don't generally actually want to go home, but they, they're desperate. And the mind is really looking for a way out. And that's really important. Because as you apply yourself again and again, eventually the mind will just have had enough. When it becomes unbearable, that's when the mind will let go. The mind will refuse to bear it anymore, refuse to go out refuse to, to cling again. I'm going to cling again and it's good. And then you hurt yourself again and again until finally the mind says, no, I'm not going to cling. And that's Nibbana. The mind doesn't mean you just sit there, but it means actually the mind goes out. No more seeing, no more hearing. No, goes in actually. No more coming out to see, hear, smell, taste, feel, or think. The mind becomes free. That is called touching Nibbana, which is the supreme yoga kemanga nuttarang which is the supreme freedom from bondage. It's because 
we all, we're only bound to suffering because of our attachment. Once you don't attach, once the mind is truly unattached, it will not even go out to the suffering, of it, suffering again. And it will constantly come back inside until finally this life is gone and for the arahant, the, uh, the, the mind gives rise to no further becoming and there is no more birth and therefore no more aging, sickness or death. So this is the meaning of these three verses and the rather long story that, that goes with them. So that's the teaching for today. And I think the application to our practice is quite relevant. The Buddha, the Buddha was very clear that this is the important to take in, in, thing to take in our practice is to be careful. So we should constantly be bringing ourselves back. As, a, as uh, my teacher gave a, an example of a man who's a person who's uh, rocking a cradle. They have to constantly rock the cradle just carefully so as not to wake the baby. The same way you have to, with your practice, you have to keep constant watch and to be do it, to do it smoothly, so that your practice never gets gets broken off course, or you'll wake the baby, or you'll, you know, your practice will fall off course. So, a person who's practicing meditation should do it as though they're rocking a baby's cradle, careful, or as the Buddha said, as though carrying a pot full of oil. The story of this man who the Buddha told the story of a man who was carrying a pot of oil, and he was said. He said, I want you to carry, the, they said, carry this pot of oil full to the brim through the whole city during a festival. There was a festival and all these dancing and, and games and so on. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a man come behind, walk behind you with a sword. And if you spill one drop of that oil, we're going to cut your head off. And the Buddha said, now suppose there was such a man, and suppose such a thing happened. Now do you think he would be distracted by the dancing, by the singing, by the games and the sports? And the monk said, no, no, probably he wouldn't. <laughs> and the Buddha said, then you should take the simile to heart and you should act like that and be constantly vigilant. And this is what is meant by this. So this is an element of our practice, the key element. The other reason why it's the key element is because it, it, it's a synonym for mindfulness. And the Buddha said, uh, sada sattho, the person who is constantly, always mindful, that is, uh, that is what is meant by and by Appamada. So our practice of mindfulness where we know things as they are, where we're clearly aware, when a thought comes up we know it as thinking, when pain comes up we know it as pain, not letting our mind extrapolate on it and um, proliferate and make more of it than it is, simply seeing it for what it is, until the point that our mind settles and this, changes its behavior, seeing the difference between going out and clinging and just simply knowing what it is and it starts to rejoice and feel such great peace and freedom in just seeing things as they are. So, this is the teaching and hopefully how, a good explanation of how it relates to our practice. So, thanks for listening and now back to our meditation.